chapter 16 and verse 24 says this. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there will be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Hallelujah. I want to preach to you for just a minute the secret of life. The secret of life. My father-in-law had a saying, I'm told, my wife has used it many times, and you've probably heard it. I don't know that it was, uh, you know, his only. But have you ever heard it said, you'll never see a U-Haul on a hearse? All the possessions of life won't matter at all. And so I would have to agree with that. And I want to talk to you what the secret of life is. Why don't you just bow your heads and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, you are here in a mighty way. And I pray, God, that now as we go to your word, would you let it speak to every heart that's here? Would you let it minister to everyone that's here? We pray in the mighty name of Jesus, we give you glory. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. I'd have to agree. You don't ever see a U-Haul on a hearse. Uh, yesterday I was sitting uh, on the chair near the, the, the couch and there on the, the thing was a bunch of auctions and maybe some of you go to auctions. Uh, had a bunch of the flyers from the Thornhill auctions. And, and it was interesting. Most of them uh, were estates, meaning someone had passed away and now they are auctioning off their possessions. And uh, each one was interesting as you look through it because uh, you, you see one guy, he had to have been a, a commercial farmer. He had about seven or eight different major tractors and combines. He had all of this. You could tell others that were antique collectors or at least hoarders. They had all sorts of stuff like that. Some collected pedal cars, the old antique tin or uh, pedal cars. But it's interesting, all that you possess in life, everything that you gain throughout the course of you walking through here, it just doesn't translate well once the end comes. I enjoy uh, a lot of different types of music. Uh, I could listen to the old Rat Pack for hours, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and uh, not by any stretch of the imagination can I be a Sinatra historian, but it is interesting when you look at the words that people sing or even the quotes that they say. How many of you have heard Frank Sinatra's song, My Way? You know, I did it my way. And, and while it's an incredible song, it really is. It's a beautiful song uh, and, and the way it flows is incredible. But when you begin to read it, it is also a very selfish song. In fact, as I studied it out, I realized that it was not, uh, not that Frank Sinatra really wrote any of his songs per se, but... The lyrics of my way in the telling of a story who's almost dead and is comfortable with and takes responsibility with how he dealt with the twists and turns of life. And, but it was really first written by a, uh, or at least first sung, by a, a person by the name of Claude Francois in French. And it was a French pop song written in 1967. And uh, Paul Anka, which is the, the writer of the song You Know, he had flown to Paris to negotiate the rights to that song. He 
did an interview in 2007 and he said, I thought that it was a bad record, the original French song, but there was something in it. So he negotiated the rights to that song. He got everything except the melody. He couldn't, he, he did not uh, procure the melody rights. And so a couple years later, he had dinner with Flor- in, in Florida with Frank Sinatra and in his own words, a couple mob guys and And in that, Frank Sinatra looked at them and he said, I am getting out of the business. He was was singing. I'm getting out of the business. I'm sick of it. I'm just, I'm getting out. He said it a bit more colorfully, but I can't really say the way he said it. But he said, I'm done. I'm I'm getting out. It caused Paul uh, Anka to go and rewrite that original French song. He altered the melodic structure. He changed some of the lyrics. He said that... It was about 1 o'clock in the morning at an old IBM electric typewriter that he said if Frank was writing this song, what would he say? And so he started metaphorically. And now the end is near. Paul spent a lot of time reading the periodicals, all the magazine, all the articles, all the interviews that Frank had given throughout his years. And he, he says in his own words, I noticed that everything that kind of Frank said was my this and my that. We were in that me generation. And Frank used it. So Paul used words he didn't really ever use, but it was the way that Frank would have spoken. I ate it up and spit it out. Let me quote to you a few things of Frank Sinatra. He said, I'd like to be remembered As a man who had a wonderful time living life. A man who had good friends and a fine family. And I don't think I could ask for anything more than that actually. Frank Sinatra also said alcohol may be man's worst enemy. But the Bible says to love your enemy. Might be a bit twisted way to look at that. Frank Sinatra, another quote. He said basically I'm for anything that gets you through the night. Be it prayer tranquilizers, or a bottle of Jack Daniels. See a little common element going through? Another quote from Frank Sinatra, I feel sorry for people don't drink. When they wake up in the morning, that's as good as they're going to feel all day. (laughs) Frank Sinatra said, I'm not one of those complicated, mixed-up cats. I'm not looking for the secrets of life. I just go from day to day taking what If you would research the annals of history, you would find that there are many, many philosophers and people that have, contrary to what Paul said, I mean, uh, what Frank said, most people would ponder what is life? What is the secret of life? What does it matter? It's interesting how the secret of life, or at least what you want out of life, changes the older you get. As maturity comes and as wisdom comes, what we think makes life important suddenly pales in comparison. If you'll just bear with me, I want to, you can turn, I I don't really, am not going to give you the verses, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes was written uh, by Song of Solomon, or at least the majority of it. There's a few verses at the very end that people have attributed to others, but for the most part, it was written by the Song of Solomon, I mean mean by Solomon, and, and in that, this wisest man, if you will, of history, He sat down to pen at the end of his life, and this is what he says. And I'm going to be paraphrasing uh, some of the words I use, and I typically don't use the the message uh, version of the Bible, especially when it comes to the things of salvation and and doctrines of the Bible. The message version tends to uh, 
not be a fair translation of that, and it kind of waters it down. But, but I'm going to sort of give you Buford's version of Ecclesiastes, and I want to just walk you through it. I'm going to be pulling in some of the words uh, from the message because at least in this, it really, uh, uh, using that version for this passage, it really kind of uh, says it pretty incredibly. But the, the book of Ecclesiastes, according to uh, the, what the messenger or the message uses, it calls him, he calls himself the seeker, the seeker. Solomon is perusing his life and he's allowing his mind to transverse the pages and the, and the roads that he has traveled. And he begins to write, and, and I'm going to just kind of be pulling verses here and there from, from Ecclesiastes. I'll, I don't, some of them be in order, some of them out of order. But let me just kind of, let me act as if I am Solomon. And this is what Solomon began to conclude at the end of his life. These are the words of the seeker, it's smoke. Nothing but smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work? A lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. One generation dies, another one comes its way, and nothing changes. It's business as usual on this old earth. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, and it does it again and again. The same old round, the wind blows south, the wind blows north. Around and around it blows all of the rivers. They flow into the sea, yet the sea never fills up. It flows the same place and it does it all over again. Solomon said, everything is boring. I can't find any meaning to it. It's boring to the eye. It's boring to the ear. What was will will be again. And what has happened will happen again. There's nothing new on the earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. If someone says they found something new, don't get all excited. It's the same old, same old. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. I've been the king of Israel over Jerusalem. I've looked carefully into everything. I've searched all that I could be, find on this earth. And I will tell you there's not much to write home about. It's nothing but smoke or vapor here today, gone tomorrow. I said to myself... Let's experiment with pleasure. Let's have a good time. But even in that, there was nothing. What do I think of being of a fun-filled life? It's insane. My verdict of the pursuit of happiness that I've given, who needs it? With everything I could, I tried to penetrate the absurdity of life. I did great things. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I designed gardens and parks. I put variety of fruit trees in them. I made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. I bought slaves. I had children. I, I acquired large herds and flocks. I had more than anybody has ever had in history. I piled up silver and gold, looted kings and kingdoms. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song. I had the most exquisite of all pleasures. I prospered more than any of my predecessors ever did. I had everything I needed to and everything I wanted I took. If I did not say no to myself, I gave in to every impulse. I held back from nothing. I sucked the very morrow of pleasure out of every task. And then I took a long look. After everything that I've accomplished, Solomon said, I took a long look. I looked at the fun, I looked at the sweat, I looked at the hard work. 
and it was nothing but a vapor. Let me, let me digress for a moment. Have you ever, maybe more as a child, but I have a feeling it, it, it applies a little bit to us as adults. Have you ever wanted something so bad? Maybe when you begin to look at Christmas time, there's something you just have to have and you've wanted it. Maybe you've saved up for it or maybe somebody got it for you for a gift. Have you ever experienced that and that anticipation is so incredible, it's so exciting, it's about to happen and then the moment you get it, it feels more like a letdown than a victory. I'm the only one? Thank you, Brother Bob. I appreciate that. A few other hands that halfway lifted up, but... I don't think I'm the only one. I think all of us have experienced those things that you look back and it just seems as if it was just but a vapor. See, Solomon, he began to realize that his fate was the same as the fool. As wise as Solomon was, as rich as Solomon was, the end is the exact same as those who are ignorant and those who are poor. There's just one fate for all. He said, I... Begin to hate everything I had accomplished on earth. Everything that I accumulated, I realized I could not take it with me. I had to leave it for whoever comes after me. Whether they're worthy or worthless, and who's to tell? They'll take over the earthly results of my intense thinking and hard work. And so Solomon said, I just decided to call it quit. What's the point? Of working your fingers to the bone if you have to hand it over to someone who never worked for it when you're gone. He said, the best I can tell you to do with your life is just have a good time. Get by the best you can. The way I see it, that's divine fate. Now at this point, if we stopped it right there, Solomon would be no better than, than Frank Sinatra or any of the other ones. That it's just, well, that's what you do. If, there, there's nothing but pain and grief from dawn to dusk. So I'll just kind of live life and let it play out. But somewhere in the midst of all of that, Solomon kept going in that, that train of thought. He began to uh, go, it, go it out. He began to say, he said, I tested everything in my search for wisdom. I set out to be wise, but it was beyond me. It was so far beyond me and deep. I don't know if anyone will ever find it. I concentrated with all my might and studied and explored and sought wisdom, the meaning of life. I wanted to identify evil and stupidity and foolishness and craziness. Because there's nothing better than being wise. Knowing how to interpret the meaning of life because wisdom put lights in the eyes and it gives gentleness to the words and the manners. So I took all of this in. And at the end of Solomon's life, he says, I thought it through, inside and out. And here's what I begin to understand. The good and the wise and all they do are in God's hand. Anything's possible. It's one fate for everybody, righteous and wicked, good people, bad people, the nice, the nasty, the worshipers, the non-worshippers, the committed and the uncommitted. He said the worst thing about living on earth is everyone's lumped together in one fate. He's talking about death. But he said, if anybody has hope, you can hope in the fact that you haven't died yet. If you're still living, he said a living dog is better than a dead lion. If you're still breathing, you still have time to figure out the secret of life. Now, I like how he said it here because it, I kind of 
agree with him. He, he got a little unspiritual for a moment. He says, first off, if you want to enjoy life, seize it. Eat bread with gusto. Drink with a robust heart. Because God gives, takes pleasure in our pleasure. Here's what he said, and again, this is how the, the message kind of does it. Dress festively every morning. Don't skip on the colors and the scarves. Relish life with the spouse you have. Each and every day of your precarious life, understand that it's God's gift. But he, he begins to take a little bit further, and he says, I, I took a walk around the neighborhood, and I realized that the race is not only to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor satisfaction to the wise, nor riches to the smart, nor grace to the learned. No one can predict your fortune. Accidents can come. But the seeker began to find. He said, I've read the words of the wise. They're like nails hammered together, holding life together. At the end of it, and if you read, and, and, and now I'm at the very end of Ecclesiastes. If you read the very end, this is what he says. But I finally figured out the secret of life. Fear God and obey his commandments. That's it. If you do that, then you will be judged accordingly. Fear not and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of of man. Have you ever read something and and you read it only for the for like one line of it? That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. You could throw out almost the entire book because he sums it up at the very at the very end. He he kind of went up through a lot of rabbit holes. Sometimes he was up, sometimes he was down, sometimes he was depressed, sometimes he was giddy, but at the end of it he at least gets it right. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. The secret of life is found there. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This last couple of weeks I have found myself perusing Luke chapter 16. And there's so many truths. There's so many different ways you can go it. But in this secret of life, why don't we at least look here. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The Bible begins to tell and it, it, it almost plays out as if it's a real occurrence rather than just simply a, a parable. The rich man had everything life could give. Clothes, eat whatever he wanted to eat, incredible homes. But there was a poor man named Lazarus that had been dumped on the doorstep of the rich. It was common for that to happen. They could there hopefully get a handout, a scrap something would kind of trickle down that they could just sort of skimp by. He lived, Lazarus lived for a meal from the scraps of the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs that would lick the sores of his body. But, but Jesus begins to record that one day both died. The rich man and the poor man. The poor man was taken up by the angels to the lap of Abraham a place of paradise, a place before you enter into heaven because heaven's still being built and there's a time that that new Jerusalem will come down. But on the same subject, rich man died as well and he was buried. 
His was in torment. His was in hell. And it's interesting because he looks up and he sees uh, Lazarus across that chasm. And he says to Abraham, and he says to Lazarus, mercy, have mercy. Let Lazarus dip his finger in the water to cool my tongue. I'm, I'm in agony of this fire. It's interesting how even in his torment, he's still selfish. That even in his torment, he's looking for something that's not going to last. Even in his judgment, if you will, he was looking for just one drink that might help him in the moment, but he never asked, and it would have been too late anyway, he never asked, do something about it long term. The problem was, is in your lifetime, you had good things, and Lazarus here did not. But at the end of time, it's not like that. It's what it matters, how you lived your life, that you get in the end. And so he begins to ask, well, since I'm here, why don't you send Lazarus to my, my, my father's house? I have five brothers, and he can tell them how it works, and he can explain it. And, of course, that doesn't work because if you won't listen to the Moses and the prophets, if you're not going to listen to the Bible, then you're not going to listen if somebody comes from the dead. See, that rich man realized that the secret of life was not what you gain here on earth, but it's what treasure you store up in heaven. It's Job that says, that, that, that answers that question, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? See, when Satan came to buffet Job, he, he got a hold of the Lord and he said, he said Lord, I, I, I believe that if I could mess with Job, you think he's so good, you think he's so righteous, but I think if I could mess with Job... If I could move against him, if I could destroy him, if I could hurt him, then he would give up his soul. And this is what Satan said in Job chapter 2 and verse 4. Satan said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But Job showed you and I something. Job showed you and I that even if life throws every curve it knows how to throw, it's not worth giving up your soul. I uh, remember vividly a conversation I had. It's been probably five, six years ago. I was talking to a lady and she was talking to me about her family and particularly about her father. Her father had not been a good man. In fact, there was talk of organized crime and ties with the mob in, in, in her father. And, and, and I even did some research just to kind of see it. And you could find some newspaper articles about it. Everyone that knew her father knew he was an evil man. He ran roughshod over people. He had hurt so many in his lifetime. But he had money. He had wealth. He had power. It was, he had bought a type of respect with his violence and his heavy-handedness. But he had made this comment on his deathbed. When he was dying, some of the last words he said, and this is, this is, and I quote, he said, I wish I could buy my life back. A man that had everything it seemed. He had cars, he had houses, he had the trappings of life. But at the end of life, he said, I, I would take everything I earned just to buy my life See, there's a lot of truth in that. There's many people that will get to the end of time and they'll say very similar to that. 
Psalms chapter 49 and verse 6 says, They trust in their wealth and they boast of great riches, yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. For redemption does not come easy, for no one could ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. What's the secret of life? Let's go back to... Matthew chapter 16, when he said, let any, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what does a man profit if, if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to ask you a question today. Have you found the secret of life. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, another parable begins to lay out where Jesus said, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And the rich man thought within himself and he said, what shall I do because my harvest is so great I have no way to store it. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns and there I'll, I'll save it all up. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now don't get me wrong, please. I'm not speaking against retirement. I'm not speaking against 401ks and making sure that your family's taken care of that, that has nothing to do with this right now but let me ask you a question what doth it profit if you have everything in this life but nothing in the life to come I like good things I like having fun but the older I get the more I realize how important it is to let my life be lived for him rather than for myself. He that loses, loseth his life shall save it. I, I think of martyrs that have been lost. You look at, at all of the disciples that lost their life. You look at those that were beheaded, those that were crucified upside down. You look at the first one, Stephen and think they'd have said I'd, I'd still give my life because I know what's coming not you know what I uh, it's not really worth it Herod you know tell you what I, I've decided I like living so I'm going to denounce God and I'm going to give it up and, and, and I'll, I'll admit Herod I was wrong just don't cut my head off that seems like the logical thing to say Except that John the Baptist realized, and this is the this is kind of the, the far end of that spectrum. He that loses loses his life shall save it. Because even if he could have denounced it all, he'd have had a few more years to live on this earth. But he'd have found that his eternity would have been far harder. The redemption that we have, we're not going to redeem ourselves by 
what we own. We're not going to redeem ourselves by what we have. We're not going to redeem ourselves by our good works. Peter said it best. You're, don't you know you're not redeemed by corruptible things, but you're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. I want to invite you to stand today. What is the secret of life? I know I'm, I'm maybe talking to the choir more than anything else. I, I know that I may be looking at those in whom you're doing your very best, but I just feel that perhaps there's somebody here. You've yet to find that secret. But it's no longer secret anymore because I've told you. The secret of life is to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. To not worry about what this life may bring. But are you laying up treasures, not here on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, not where thieves can break through and steal, but are you laying up for yourselves treasures on earth? Not, not there. But are you laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven where God shall protect? And on that judgment day, God will open up the book and you'll have put some stuff in that bank, if you will that will keep you. I want us just to begin to gather around this altar. I want all of us to have a chance to do what Solomon did and look over our life and kind of peruse it. And Lord, are we living for ourselves? Are we living for you? I wonder if we could come and end this Sunday morning around the altar praying that prayer in Jesus' name. Take this offering that I bring Humbly I fall on my knees to proclaim